Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond. And today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary Vee, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey, Founder Fam. Welcome back to another episode of the Founder Podcast. Today, we're speaking with Josh Reeves. He's the CEO and co-founder of Gusto, a startup that's reimagining HR and payroll. And today, we're going to go deep into the early stages of raising capital, what it takes to build a multi-billion dollar SaaS company, and how to run incredibly empowered remote teams that scale. Please welcome to the podcast, Josh Reeves. The first question that we ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Uh, Well, thanks, Nate. It's great to be here. I am the CEO, co-founder of Gusto. We've been at this for 10 years now. So I I literally got my job by, I would say, finding a problem I wanted to go solve and um, 10 years ago, deciding with my two co-founders to try to go make a difference in this problem space. And 10 years in, I'm very excited by the journey and eager eager about what's to come. And was Gusto your first business? So this is my third, if I go back in time a bit, I, I graduated 2001. I was a product manager at a startup, an e-commerce startup for about three years. 
I had my first startup, uh, which was from 2008 to 2010. And then we started Gusto in 2011. Gotcha. And um, how did you come up with the idea? Uh, so Gusto came about uh, now 10 years ago because myself and my two co-founders, we were really uh, at a stage where we wanted to tackle a really big problem space that we could see ourselves spending decades trying to make better. And we had all run these prior startups. So I had run a small startup before my co-founders had, we'd experienced the pain of setting up things like payroll, setting up health benefits, also the process of really just how to create great team, great connections amongst teammates. And so we had experienced that ourselves. And we also had family who had run small and medium-sized businesses. So Augusta, we focus a lot on small and medium-sized businesses. And that's how we that's how we got into the space. And what did uh, life look like for young Josh Reeves? Can you... Um share a few learnings of how things were growing up yeah happy to go way back uh, i was born in san francisco my parents are not from there though uh, my mom is an immigrant from bolivia she came to the us when she was 18 uh, not speaking really any english really created a whole new life for herself put herself through university um and and i'm very grateful to the example she said to me about really this idea of turning you know nothing into something that's what entrepreneurship is all about uh, my dad's from a small steel town outside of pittsburgh um, he came west. Both of my parents were the first in their families to go to college. I grew up, like I said, in the in the Bay Area. Um, my parents were both teachers. My dad was a high school teacher. My mom was an elementary school um, Spanish and French teacher. So didn't get much exposure to software or engineering. Um, just all the outdoors. I was in scouts. My brother and I are both Eagle Scouts. So lots and lots of hiking. I have two kids. Uh, we chose the names River and Sky. So our love of nature has continued in in our naming conventions. Um, and then it was at Stanford that I got a lot more exposure to to tech and startups. So I suppose um, if you're at Stanford, is everybody basically working on something? And if you're not, then do you feel like the odd one out? So it might have changed. I started at Stanford in 2001, right after the dot-com collapse, when it seemed like the common sentiment was there's no future in software. That whole thing is a done deal. And so focus more on fundamentals. I actually like that. I studied electrical engineering. I really got deep into the math side of it, um, signal processing. I was looking at, you know, work in the um, wireless communication space. I was going to potentially be doing a PhD in neural prosthetics. Um, so I think Stanford, if I were, you know, somewhat speaking on behalf of a huge university, tries to be a place where actually there's lots of different departments, programs. I enjoy taking classes in the humanities and history. Um, there's actually a lot of things at Stanford beyond startups, frankly. And um, from visiting the campus more recently, I mean, it definitely is a topic that pervades the campus. And my message whenever I speak to students is, you know, whenever there is something that seems like the popular thing to do, really figure out if it's for you. Um, and at Stanford, that's probably, you know, people wondering, is startups for me or something different? Because I think that question, thinking about it and being introspective about what really resonates is way more important than just doing whatever is the popular thing to do. And how did you work out startups were for you? So I was in school exploring a lot. You know, I, I was doing electrical engineering. I um, joined different labs on campus. I wanted to kind of maintain the option of perhaps doing a PhD or even going into academia. I have a ton of respect for folks that do go down that path. Um, I worked in different internships. I worked at Intel when I was 19. You know, I was putting on the, the bunny suit and going into the fab facility. It still shut down, but Intel did have a fab in Silicon Valley. Hence why the name Silicon Valley from way back when. Um, and, and so, yeah, for me, school was about exploring. I definitely was aware of startups around me. 
Um, and what I realized as I worked at some big companies, some small ones, some that were tech centric, some that weren't, was I really loved problem solving. And so when I graduated, you know, I did choose to join a startup. But what really got me excited was you know, joining a company that was solving a problem and also, you know, something that would be growing a lot. It is the nature of a startup. If it's doing its job right, it's actually growing a lot based on a, you know, hopefully a good business model because there's a big pain point they're trying to solve. All right, so let's rewind back to starting Gusto. You and other two co-founders, you wanted to solve a big problem. How did you start bringing that product to life? Did you go out and raise seed capital? Can you talk us through that? Yeah, so we got started. This is now, let's see, late 2011. Um, we, you know, again, we're thinking a lot about pain points that were mainstream, that were concrete, that not just we had felt, but we felt like a lot of other people felt. We didn't want to solve a problem just for ourselves or for Silicon Valley. We wanted to tackle a problem that was affecting a lot of people, right? And so um, for us to start, we, you know, knew that payroll was going to be the core of what we're creating at Gusto, we call our, our broader product, the people platform. Um, but payroll is really at the core of it. It's this need to go you know, pay people, do all the taxes, all the filings, all the calculations. And you had three, you know, PhD dropouts, all from electrical engineering, who had never ever built any payroll systems before. So the first thing we had to do was start building that system. And for us, that meant, you know, living in a house in Palo Alto with some roommates, you know, talking to prospective customers and writing code, right? All of us were in development. Next big milestone, and we were part of a program at Y Combinator was, after we had run payroll, we didn't decide to pay ourselves till we could pay ourselves through our own system. So, you know, that was a big other additional motivator for us. But once we had paid ourselves and then decided now let's go actually bring this to more people, um, we did raise a seed round of fundraising. Uh, that was from, you know, 15 plus CEOs and founders of companies that, you know, really I felt cared about this problem and wanted it to be made better. And then we really focused on pr improving the product and, and making it more um, scalable in terms of reaching more and more people. And we didn't launch until about a year and a half after we started the company because payroll is something that has to be done correctly. There is no beta, there is no alpha. You know, we're taking people's hard earned money, making sure they get it on time accurately, making sure taxes get done correctly. So, you know, for us, that intentionality was really important. And I think our customers benefited a lot from it. So you guys basically started from going into Y Combinator. What was that experience like? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, we had some really good friends who had been through the program. My co-founder, Eddie, had actually been through it with his prior startup in 2008, back when it was uh, much smaller and, you know, Paul Graham was still making food for everyone on Tuesday and you would eat together. Um, when we did it in 2012, we were still eating together on Tuesdays, but it was now uh, catered food. Um, but yeah, I really appreciated the community. I mean, it is a great community of, of founders, people that are going through similar journeys in different problem spaces. And my advice to anyone that's considering a program like that is um, if it makes sense for you, fantastic. If you don't get in or if it doesn't make sense for you, you know, hopefully the reason why you're starting a company is because you want to go fix a pain point. It shouldn't matter if you're in a program or not. You should really just try to go make that problem better. Um, but we really were grateful to be a part of the program. And um, I would say definitely benefited from, from being a part of it. So you went through Y Combinator. They provided you a small seed round and then you were still building. Then you went on to demo day. And is that when you raised uh, your proper seed round? Yeah, we did a proper seed round. I'd say, uh, you know, I guess all the definitions are a bit changing, but uh, we did a $6 million seed round. Um, and it was, again, primarily from, you know, founders, CEOs of companies like PayPal and Box and Dropbox and uh, Mint and Evernote and Eventbrite. 
And so, you know, I would have frankly paid these folks to be involved in what we were doing. Instead, they were giving us money. So I had kind of a pinch me moment, but I really feel like, you know, these folks really, really wanted to make this problem better. They had all experienced this pain point in building their businesses, at least early on, right? How do you go make the process of starting a company easier, simpler? How do you go make the process of building a team, you know, simpler and easier? Um, and so they've been really helpful with sounding boards and have given us a lot of advice over the years. And, you know, they'll get a great return on their investment as well. So fast forward to now, how far have you taken Gusto a decade later? Can you talk us through where you guys are at now with solving this problem? Yeah, I said we've made some progress. We have a lot more work ahead. I still feel like we're early in the journey. But um, yeah, from, I guess, some scale lens, you know, we support, serve uh, over 200,000 small and medium-sized businesses now across the U.S. Um, from a Gusto team lens, the team itself is about 2,400 people now. Um, in terms of the breadth of the product, we're really proud to have with and corporal. Uh, we processed over, you know, quarter trillion dollars of payroll through the system. Um, but also we've expanded that quite a bit. We help with pain points around health benefits, making it easier for small and medium-sized businesses to access healthcare. Uh, we help a lot with employee onboarding. We help with um, tax credits is another exciting one to spotlight, making it easier for folks to access tax credits that are relevant to their business. And so, yeah, you know, progress made. Um, our goal here is to solve pain for the customer, but you know, still a huge, huge market, huge sort of additional pain points we want to help with. So um, lots of work ahead. And when you were starting Gusto out amongst the three of you guys, how did you work out each other's roles in the business? Roles have evolved quite a bit, but early on we were all you know, writing code, talking to customers, helping with customer support. It's pretty simple. Everyone just has to wear every hat. Um, as we started scaling, though, we did just have an open, direct conversation, and it really just played to our strengths, I would say. So Tomer and Eddie, my two co-founders, focused much, much more on the engineering product design side of the house, including a lot of the customer experience work and customer service work. And I really focused much more on the go-to-market, the sales and marketing, the acquisition motions, as well as kind of the business operations side of the house, kind of how do we um, scale Gusto and grow the team and try to be as intentional as possible when it comes to things like uh, culture and onboarding and and training folks that are becoming a part of the organization, and that's persisted. Um, my role has stayed as you know CEO externally, internally we the head of Gusto, uh, and my two co-founders have stayed really really focused on you know really scaling the product and the solution that we offer. And we've you know added a ton of amazing leaders over the years as a broader part of our leadership team. But I'm really proud that uh, my two co-founders have scaled and continue to be uh, leaders within the organization. And what were the challenges in the early days? You know, the, the journey of building a, a startup or a fast growth kind of high potential business has tons of, I would say, milestones and moments of uncertainty. There's always a combination of hard work and a lot of luck involved. Um, so to give you some examples, you know, right off the bat, it was could we build a viable product that actually was compliant, but actually created lots of customer love. And it took us, you know, a good year and a half to get to launch for California, for new employers as our focus. And we didn't know until a few months later had we actually built something customers loved, would rave about, tell others about. Because you know, we knew word of mouth was gonna be a big, big enabler of our growth. When you're serving really small companies to start, um, you know, the ACV, the revenue per customer is much smaller. So having a higher touch kind of outbound sales motion wasn't gonna be viable. This had to be an organic engine. It had to be powered by customer love. And we didn't know if that was going to be the case until it until it was. So that was definitely a big moment of uncertainty. And once we started getting that positive feedback, it was really, really gratifying. And definitely, you know, from there, it was then moving to the next puzzle, the next milestone uh, in the journey. 
I see. So how did you guys get your first customer? So, you know, besides paying ourselves, we did start paying a few friends' companies. Um, but once we got past that and did our launch in December of 2012, uh, it really was um, initially some PR where we wanted to announce that we're here. And then from there on, it really was word of mouth. Referrals and word of mouth drove the bulk of customers to Gusto. Um, so having a really easy to use onboarding experience, having a product customers loved so they would want to tell other people about it was really, really key to our growth. You know, only about a year later did we start doing any paid advertising to augment that. And today, even today, you know, at uh, the scale we're at, uh, organic word of mouth referral and, and the content we produce still drives um, majority of our uh, traffic and growth at Gusto. That's awesome. And uh, can you talk to us around how early on did you focus on company culture? Because in terms of over a decade, you said you had almost two and a half thousand employees around the world. At like, what point did company culture become a real focus for you guys? So I'd say we've endeavored and tried to have that be a focus from day one. We've definitely not been perfect. Um, but a lot of the learnings there, Nate, came from actually a prior company and the prior startups we'd been a part of. I can come back to that later if it's of interest. Um, but with Gusto, because we started by wanting to tackle a problem we could spend decades fixing, um, when it was Tomer, Eddie, and myself, you know, we were just focused on building and, and getting to launch and serving our customer. When we started thinking about hiring our first employee, we call ourselves Gusties, that was the moment when we thought about, hey, how are we going to approach team building? How are we going to approach adding more people to this organization? And that's when we actually spend time really codifying our values as a company. What are the common attributes that bring us together? And, you know, starting with just me, Tomer, and Eddie, like what about the way we work that we find deeply fulfilling and, and really enjoyable? And so we had our values then to guide us to hire that first guestie, the second guestie, the third guestie. And then a lot of it was just being really high touch. You know, I would onboard each person. They would spend, you know, an hour or two with me every day for the first few weeks. And we've evolved our processes quite a bit, obviously. That doesn't scale for me to spend time with each person. But really trying to be, again, intentional about hiring is not just us convincing someone to join. It's really this alignment process. And we define that alignment across values alignment, motivation alignment, and skill alignment. And that's been the case since really we hired our first guestie. I'd love to talk about what you mentioned in your previous experiences, can you share some of these lessons and what happened? Yeah, I'll take us back to you know 2008, um, Facebook platform just launched. This was really a method for folks. Uh, if you think back to then that um, you know Facebook was really thought of as more of a college campus centric product. It had just in the last couple of years before that expanded to be not just focused on colleges. But Facebook platform was a way for um, third-party developers to build into the Facebook ecosystem. And again, this is most of it was web-based, not mobile. And so um, what happened then was a friend of mine, um, he was working at, at Google at the time, and I was at that prior startup. You know, we decided to really start building something in this ecosystem. And the reason why I bring this up and why it's so relevant to Gusto is I would say we approached it very, very differently. You know, it was less about you know, what's the pain and the problem we're trying to fix? It was more of, hey, let's let's go have a company, right? Sounds cool to have a company. And so we were in stealth for many months. Uh, we ended up building some tools that were pretty easy to use and did drive a lot of usage, little tools for, you know, small businesses to go on Facebook. And uh, we put some ad banners. We're making thousands of dollars a day in ad revenue. That seemed like success. That's supposed to be a good thing, right? Making revenue. 
but we were still in stealth because I really didn't know how to describe what we were trying to fix. It was more of an optimization exercise where you're just trying to, you know, tweak a few things to make more ad dollars every day. And ultimately that company, we sold it, um, but it took, you know, many months of reflection to figure out why it had not felt like a purpose or a thing that really drove me and gave me lots of excitement. Um, I had to think back to actually a nonprofit I had started in college to really remember what it was like to, to kind of just want to live and breathe something because it meant a lot to me. And so my insight then, and, and a big part of what I think did drive me to at least being really excited about Gusto was, you know, start with the problem. I had to start with what is the thing we're trying to fix, make better for the customer. And that's actually where I was when Tomer and Eddie and I connected. Uh, and they were actually just at very similar places as well. And that's the advice I give to any entrepreneur that wants to build for, you know, decades, if that's what they want. Um, really start with the customer problem, the pain point you're trying to fix, and that'll always be your due north. And if you can imagine the you know 10,000th time describing that pain point you're trying to fix and be as excited as the first time, that's a pretty good rubric on actually, is this going to be a mission-driven activity for you versus just you know a company for the sake of it? Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success, you should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs, people just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. So you said something really interesting around this idea of building for decades and solving a big, big problem that will take decades to solve and do and essentially build a superior product in the marketplace. I'm curious, how does that land with investors when they're typically looking for returns within a five, seven, eight, ten year period? I guess I'll first unpack when I say decades, you know, I really just believe companies don't exist for their own sake. Companies exist to fix, fix fix problems in the market, right? fix something for the customer. And so if it's a big enough problem and there's enough folks affected by it, right? You know, I'm really proud that we affect today 200,000 companies in America, but there are you know 6 million companies in America and there's millions more around the world. So we are still so, so early in actually helping uh, more of the companies out there than we help today. And in terms of what we help, even our existing customer, we're scratching the surface of the pain points we can help them with. Even last year, adding tax credit, you know, expanded that, but there's so many more things I'm excited for us to expand into. So that's why it's kind of is there. It's because it's just going to take that amount of time to go help millions of companies and help them in the way we want to help them. Um, to your question, investors, I really think of uh, fundraising as it's hiring. It's a process of choosing someone to join a team. Um, they're not full-time guestees, but they are a part of our team, a part of our community. And you know, the good news is, uh, if you build a company for the long term and compound, you know, investors make a lot of money in that process, right? Every investor in Gusto has 
as we've grown and serve more customers, we have a business model where the more customers we serve and the more things we do for them, it's a subscription-based business model. That means we make more revenue. We have an even better business model. You know, it grows Gusto's value. I think, you know, people can read about what our value is externally, uh, but to me, that's that's a byproduct. Our investors are very happy. To hold the stock for a long, long time. One thing I'll add to um, Nate, maybe this is part of your question as well, is there are obviously different investors that have different kind of business models, right? VCs classically have their 10-year kind of fund cycle. They can extend that by a couple of years. Um, so for us, at least, we really started shifting in 2018 to really having more public investors on the cap table. And you can still do that when you're private. That's not something only we've done. Many folks have done it. And to me, that lays the tracks for folks that can be long-term shareholders. Uh, our VCs are still very excited to be shareholders in Gusto, but I know at some point, structurally, they'll probably um, have a shift in, in their ownership. And I'm eager for folks like Fidelity and T-Row, folks that have been investors now for a couple of years, you know, to continue to build position and hold Gusto, hopefully for decades to come, if we can perform. Thank you for sharing. So I have to ask, you talked about this idea of What's so strong about the Gusto product is the idea of network effects, that the more people that are using the product, the more word of mouth and the user base spreads, and you can organically drive customer growth. Was there anything else that really helped you guys scale that you could share with us, especially in the early days? Yeah, I'll point to maybe two programs here and get more specific. So, you know, organic word of mouth, still really important to Gusto. Uh, but we have also produced a lot of content. If um, any small and medium businesses are listening, you can check out TalkShop at Gusto.com. And we produce a lot of content to help people kind of navigate what it takes to start a company, hire your first employee, and that content's all free, you know, and it's constantly changing and evolving. When, you know, COVID started and there was a bunch of different government fiscal stimulus programs in the U.S., there was the PPP program. You know, we produced a lot of content to help demystify and simplify all of these different rules and requirements, and that drove a lot of folks learning about Gusto. It, it helped them, but also then when they were considering, you know, switching payroll or using us for health benefits, um, that did bring folks into our ecosystem. So content is definitely something we spend a lot of time on. Um, the other I'll point to is we have a really robust um, program uh, partnership program with accounting firms. Uh, over ten thousand accounting firms now partner with Gusto, and a lot of them had historically been doing things like payroll themselves by hand. And they were really excited to have a modern provider they could partner with. And so many of them use Gusto themselves to pay their own teams, and then they'll add their clients onto Gusto over time. So those are two programs we've also used to grow uh, over the years. That's great to hear. So you kind of basically rolled out the typical SaaS playbook, running an inbound program, SEO content, content marketing, and then you've also got a strong partnership strategy. And it also sounds like you said you didn't really need to do that much on the paid side, right? Definitely use it as a way to augment. We do all of the things that I would say would be smart, practical, pragmatic to do. But whenever I you know, meet an entrepreneur or speak to a company where that's their primary way of growing, I feel like it can be a risk, right? Because we know that these auction dynamics can tap out when you have competition in the market. You know, there are companies where the ad side makes up for not having a great product. When you're serving small and medium-sized business, you just have to have a great product experience because that word of mouth is such a great offset to the um, paid program. So yeah, to be clear, we do paid advertising, but we really think of it as an augmentation on that core 
you know, land and expand powered by customer love growth engine of Gusto. We also launched a whole new go-to-market motion last year. You know, I think there is a balance of how many new go-to-market motions you add and how quickly. Um, the oldest for Gusto is this direct side that we've been talking about. The second oldest is like the accountant partnership that I've also talked about. But when we launched last year, it was really focused on other SMB, small and medium size uh, business software platforms. So we call it Gusto Embedded Payroll. And it's actually the ability for other software platforms to go build their own payroll product powered by Gusto. So this is actually enterprise partnerships. Um, it actually results in an embedded product experience where it's their payroll product in their app, in their experience, powered by you know, the 10 years of infrastructure we've built at Gusto. So more of a you know, platform as a service type offering. Yeah, so white label. So as an example, for our founder membership, our All Access Founder Plus membership, if we wanted to say to our members, hey, we've got a new payroll solution for you guys, and you could call it you know, founder payroll, we could just white label it through you. Our strategy here to be open about it and unpack it, right, is I think all of these three, whether it's direct on which really is focused on a specific type of SMB, um, indirect with our accountants or indirect with Gusto Embedded, all three, I think, have huge potential. But for Gusto Embedded, we're always going to be driven by what's best for the customer. And we just realized with vertical SaaS in particular, there are a lot of great, amazing software platforms out there where people want to stay in those communities. They want to stay inside that ecosystem. And having to go to a separate website, a separate application is actually creating a worse experience. So if you know someone is in one of these vertical SaaS applications, whether you're a laundromat, uh, whether you're a pizza shop, whether you're a founder community like this one, um, and you really love that ecosystem, you know, I think it actually makes sense for them to provide more and more products and services over time. And we've heard the feedback loud and clear. We're not the only one doing this. You know, they don't want to build everything themselves from scratch. So having that powered by Gusto concept is not new. Many folks use Stripe, for example, to power their payments infrastructure. And a lot of times they do want Gusto to be there to give trust and confidence to their customer that this is going to be done right. You know, payroll is actually really complicated and um, takes many, many years to get right. And, you know, anyone that's building payroll powered by Gusto is leveraging all of that infrastructure that we spent time optimizing over the last 10 years. Yeah, that's really clever. At Founder, we actually use Bamboo HR and then we use Deal. And I could see like software like Deal integrating with Gusto and then we wouldn't even need Bamboo HR, right? Yeah, and we're actually big fans. We're you know partners aware of and connect to all the products you just mentioned. Um, but also we're making a lot of our own investment on this idea around remote, right? Not a new concept, but we are focused today on US-based employers, but you can actually using Gusto today pay international contractors in over 80 countries. And we're investing quite a bit in making that process for year because we think there can and should just be one place you go for a lot of the functionality, whether it's stuff we themselves or through partners, to be clear. So you know, even multi-state registration is a pain point we're trying to make easier, uh, let alone the ability to hire and pay a team anywhere in the world. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing. I'd love to switch gears now and talk about leadership. So you're a founder-led company. First and foremost, though, now you're a CEO. And as time has gone on, you've really had to become a proper CEO. Like a lot of people watching, reading, or listening might have the title CEO, but they're not really doing the role of a CEO. It's more the role of a founder. So I'm curious to hear, what do you see is required as a CEO to really steer the ship and lead this company? And what are your thoughts about leadership and developing as a CEO? 
you know, this is all through my perspective of what's worked well for me. My advice to anyone is always figure out what works best for you, but it's always useful to hear examples, anecdotes, and then decide if it resonates or not. Um, for me, I really subscribe to, to servant leadership as a model. I think that stems in particular from having parents who are teachers and, and service mindset is a value at Gusta that we deeply, deeply emphasize this idea of uh, enabling, empowering, being of service to others. And I view that as the core of leadership, frankly. Um, Another thing I would say is uh, I joke my job is to keep firing myself from as many jobs as I can. You know, I used to be our first salesperson and lead parts of our sales team. I used to lead parts of our marketing team. I used to lead a lot of different teams at Gusto. We now have incredible leaders in each of those areas. And so what's left is, you know, really two things in my opinion. One, team building. A huge percentage of my time is spent really trying to figure out how can I both enable the team around me, the leaders that we brought in and or make decisions around changing leaders in the company. Uh, and I really enjoy that. I didn't know if I would, you know, 10 years ago, but that ability to unlock someone's potential and kind of make sure that alignment is there and then see amazing stuff happen without my involvement, I just really, really enjoy. And I would encourage someone who's perhaps going down this path to, to consider, does that give them energy or does it take energy? Because it does become a huge, huge part of the job. Um, second big bucket is when we have moments related to planning where there's really important decisions to make around strategy or direction. You know, ultimately I am the steward of that and making sure we can live up to our long-term potential. But beyond those two hats, you know, I hope to mostly just be available to teams, join AMAs, join Q and A's, you know, break all the myths that a CEO is somehow this person on high issuing edicts. You know, I'm at the bottom of the org chart. I'm here to go serve people. And, and that's where I like to be. I really respect that. Love to talk about fundraising. Gusto's valued at over $10 billion. Can you talk us through the process of securing funding and any lessons that you could share with founders that are going through this process? I'll share, again, some tactical advice. Uh, above all, just very grateful to the journey we've been on. I know not every journey is the same. Some folks have it harder, easier. Um, but I do respect all founders have that desire to make whatever their challenges ahead of them are, make it work, get there, right? So um, for us, uh, I really view fundraising as, as I said earlier, hiring, team building. The average length of time we've gotten to know investors before we decide, hey, now we're going to raise around and would you like to be a part of that process is about three years, to be honest. And um, I feel really fortunate to have that type of flexibility. So one tactical advice there is, you know, don't try to meet an investor and raise money from them in the same few weeks. It's impossible to do both. And it actually worked really well uh, for me and I, for the others that I've given this advice to. If you're in company building mode, you know, bucket some time. It's a small percentage of your time to actually connect to investors with the message of, hey, we're not raising money. I just want to get to know you better and see if we're a good fit for each other. And you'll find probably that a lot of investors are much more open to that message than you would think. And then when you are raising money, you know, that's a time-constrained process. Hopefully it's with people that you've already gotten to know versus meeting them for the first time. So that's one tip. Another tip, um, more at seed stage, early stage especially, is when you do meet, you know, whether it's an angel or even a firm, but this works better for angel investors, and someone's excited and interested in what you're doing and they decide to invest, you know, finish each of those chats by asking for, you know, two other folks they know who could be really excited about this mission, this problem, and could help in some way. That might not lead to them investing, but you're actually expanding that network. And if that email comes from an angel investor and it says, hey, you know, XYZ should meet this company, I'm investing and I think you might be interested. That's an amazing signal for that other person to respond that email and want to go engage. And perhaps that then expands the uh, angel investor group that is uh, investing in your, in your business. Yeah, that's gold. Thank you for sharing. I was going to say as well, 
there's rumors of an IPO. Anything you could share? Any progress there? Definitely no timeline to share. Um, but I, what I would say is, uh, as a company that plans to be around for decades, we look at being public as an important milestone in that journey, but but not the destination. Um, you know, beyond that, I would say our focus, as you can probably tell, is on customers and making their life better and serving them. Um, so yeah, no timeline to share. Excited when we do reach that milestone. But I'll quote I'll quote a fellow tech company CEO and say. Uh, you know, going public is kind of like high school graduation. The rest of your life happens after. I'm hoping that we can continue with that mindset for many years to come. Because really customer is what comes first. And whether Gusto is you know, public or private, what they care actually about is are we doing taxes correctly? Are we setting up health benefits correctly? Are we making their life easier? Um, and that's, again, where frankly the bulk of the team spends all of our time. Couple of last questions. Any final words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our audience of early stage startup founders and entrepreneurs? So maybe I'll, I'll reinforce one and then add a few more. Um, if you are, again, starting something, or I know many of you have started something and are really trying to make it work, um, you know, think about, again, what, what your motivation is and what your goals are. And there's no right or wrong here. Um, but the more honest you are with yourself, the better to lead towards than where whatever business you're doing goes. If you align with a lot of what I've been sharing and hope it's been decades, a long time, building that business, really think about, does this problem space inspire and excite you? Because once you are at that 10,000th time of describing the pain you're fixing, you will not be able to fake it. It'll actually show and it'll actually damage the business if you can't authentically be as excited as that first time you were describing it. And again, if, if it's not resonating and or aligning, then that's probably a good time to either sell the business or exit or make a change because it'll be a disservice to the business if that alignment isn't there. Um, so that's one. Uh, another would be, um, you know, set time aside to be introspective in the journey. It's really easy. And in general, I would say to kind of just go through life, tackling whatever obstacle or puzzle is in front of you. Um, I find this useful both in a personal and professional context, but definitely when it comes to company progress, strategy, what is that scorecard? How do you define success? Whether it's for this year, these next three years, the next month, even this week. Um, I find, at least for me, it's really helpful to go you know, write that down and take time to step back. For me, it's like on a Sunday, going on a walk. You know, every month I have a routine, every quarter I have a routine. Um, then, you know, again, you can just have years fly by and actually not have reflected upon, you know, what's working, not working, whether it's your role, the company, or even, um, you know, your life more, more broadly, frankly. Um, let's see, another advice point I would give, back to if you hope to scale as a leader in a company, and that isn't a requirement for everybody, um, I'll just reinforce that, it's all about people, right? It ultimately is all about people. Um, how to think about uh, the team you're building, who should be staying, who's working well for this phase, maybe not the next phase. Um, who do you want to invest more in? Where do you make a change? And and finding joy in that should hopefully be authentic and natural. And if not, that could also be a good signal to, to change one's responsibilities. Um, those are some things that, that come to mind as advice. Thank you. So now we're going to move to the hot seat round. Few rapid fire questions, and then we're going to work towards wrapping up. So first question is, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice when you first started, what would it be and why? Oh, it'd probably be a lot of what I just went through. Um, number one piece of advice I would give in building Gusto is just a reinforcement of the what and the how both matter. They've always mattered. They always will matter. And you know that's just a good mental model, in my opinion the what around strategy and 
you know, customer matters and the how, the way that one accomplishes a goal, both matter equally. When is work fulfilling? I love helping. So whenever I'm helping or problem solving, um, I find that really gratifying. Uh, maybe the other would be like whenever I, I see a Gusty or a teammate kind of break through and do something new and be successful. It's just cool to witness that. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I, I give this advice. I'm pretty sure it came from someone else, but it's, you know, you become like the people you spend time with. So be intentional in who you spend time with. What's something you've learned today? I learned today um, that it takes three hours to get a passport for a 10-month-old um, rather than one hour. I thought it might take only an hour. Last question is my favorite. If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? The first thing that comes to mind is actually not in a company context. I'd want to have dinner with kind of one of the early leaders in the creation of um, the United States and understand you know, how and why and in what way they approached the decisions they made. Because um, clearly, you know, a lot of the decisions they made have stood the test of time. Some have had and required a lot of change and debate, but I'd just be fascinated by kind of this, this project called the United States of America, like getting exposure and insight into its early days, I think would be amazing to me. Awesome. Well, Josh, thank you so much. This was an incredible interview and congratulations on all of your success thus far. This was amazing. I know this is going to provide a lot of value to our community. Uh, I'll speak to you soon. Thank you, Nate. And uh, congrats to all the entrepreneurs out there. You know, choosing to tackle something, take a risk, build something from nothing. I commend you. That's an amazing choice to make. And I hope that you're able to accomplish the goals you set. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.